Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. This is Lacrosse Live with Harvard head coach Jerry Byrne and his assistant coach Will Corrigan. Uh, is that Will or is it a puppet? That is that that is Will. He's my producer and uh, life coach. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that when you stand behind the thing there with just a head, it just makes it hard to tell if it's. If He's it's like not the neighbor. Like... He's like the neighbor from Home Improvement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's pretty funny, Jerry. Normally, when I prepare for, um, you know podcasts I, I i go back into people's past i try to think of like interesting topics but with you know regarding relevant related to lacrosse uh, but with you i'm like watching old bugs bunny episodes just to see if i can like you know pull out something interesting and eclectic well you know you and i and if i had to rank the five people i've spoken to the most in the last 10 years it's probably kevin corrigan Matt Carwick, my brother Thomas, my brother Stephen, Jamin Monroe, and uh, baby Doc Byrne, my wife Tracy. So you're 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 in the top six. Wow. We've covered we've covered, a, we've covered a lot of you know ground around culture and music and and lacrosse. So you know sure. that's why that's why we have so much fun doing this. I think this is my fourth or fifth time being on uh, on the interwebs with you. Yeah, it's it. No, no doubt. I love it. I love talking lacrosse with you. And here's my uh, what we're going to kick this off with is yeah. you have to come up with a line. I'm going to name a movie and you got to come up with a line. That's going to be the test. I'm going to give you five of them. And you're going to see how you do. Yeah, ready? Yeah, hit it. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, um, something do economics. Voodoo economics. <laughs> that's all you got? How about I, I was not a, I, I was a, not a huge fan of Matthew Broderick as his no, comedic talent. But that was a, that was his classic of an '80s movie. As you're going to find, though. True, true. And sometimes you just got to say, "What the heck?" That, <laughs> that, but that's not from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's from Risky that Business. Is. That's from. Oh, oh, that's. Uh, uh, is it that's also from Risky Ferris Business Bueller. too? Risky Business too. Money. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I confused my, I confused my, uh, I confused my movies. I'm sorry. You're right. That was risky business. One thousand percent. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Mm. That life comes at you fast if you don't slow down. That's the one. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe I confused those two. But risky business was what I was thinking. Both of those are pretty awesome, actually. Um, How about um, Fast Times? Uh, Mr. Hond, you keep on saying it's your time but if i'm here and you're here isn't it our time <laughs> love it the shining the shining uh uh wendy darling light of my life <laughs> um how about ghostbusters uh Oh, something about the Stay Posh Marshmallow Man. Oh, no. Next time, if someone asks if you are a god, you say yes. 
All right, last one, Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. Uh, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I can, the guy who was the teacher is such a great, you know, D that uh, I can't, I can't think of some of his lines, but uh, yeah, I can't think of one. Can't think of one. <laughs> um, how about- You give me a bonus question? <laughs> yeah, bonus question, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Uh, so the llama hits this ball down this 900 foot ravine. Crevice. He looks at me and says, Gunga, Galunga. No, wait a minute. Gunga, Gunga, Lunga. <laughs> and on your deathbed, you will have total consciousness, which is nice. So, so I got that going for me, which is nice. I'm John Canaris, founder of Oxia Time, a watch company specializing in university branded watches. Before I fell in love with watches, I fell in love with lacrosse. Maybe you've heard of the Air Gate. Well, that was me in goal that day. We may not have won the national championship, but we did win the Ivy League that year and two years before. The first time, we got a ring that we never wore. The second time, we got a watch that while it had great sentimental value, the quality didn't match the significance of our achievements or the memories we created. Ever since then, I've looked for a watch with the design and quality that would live up to my experiences at Penn. After 30 years of looking and not finding what I wanted, I decided to build it myself. At Axia Time, we create Swiss-made automatic watches with stylish designs and quality befitting the universities we represent. Premium watches without the premium price. Check us out at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. <laughs> All right, that was a good exercise. All right, All right let's turn the, let's turn the uh, tables over here to a uh, little lacrosse talk. All right. What I want to know is what is your latest, greatest, favorite drill you did while you were still practicing lacrosse every day at Harvard? Um, you know, we, we started doing a drill. I think, uh, you know, we were, we were struggling to clear, clear the ball. I think we were definitely in the bottom five of clearing percentages. And we, we, we just came up with a drill. My assistants came up with a drill. Will and Ted Bergman and Neil Hutchinson came up with a kind of a – uh, a two-sided uh, drill. We were, we were coming up against a bunch of different kind of 10-man, 9-man, some pressure, some some deep. And we were just kind of going through the uh, the different reads that your, your defenseman would make on the clearing side. So whether it was him shooting at the goal or throwing the ball into the middle of the field or throwing the ball along the sideline to a deep attackman. And so we we did the drill. It was great because some of the defensemen were getting the opportunity to, to shoot, which is always fun. But the, you know, the kind of the push-pull responsibility when you're clearing the ball and you got eight seconds left and eight seconds is a lot more time than you think it is. And we were going through the progressions of reads on, on the clearing side. And then we went through the three or four different looks that, that, uh, that uh, the clearing uh, midfielders and defensemen would make. And then we turned it into a, a full field drill. So they, they were kind of almost like, it was almost like a quarterback clearing drill where the ball got to certain parts of the field. And after you caught the ball and you made your turn, you had to go through your progression based on ball pressure, angle, how much time was left. So we created all these different scenarios where 
it started with, hey, you caught the ball and made one decision. And then as we progressed during the week, you caught the ball and made four decisions. And you had to practice the ability to make all those passes. And again, it was a scenario where there was less than 10 seconds left in the clear. So we were, we were creating a little pressure. And but at the same time, you were also kind of illuminating the fact that as a player, I'm not comfortable rolling away to my weekend or I can't consistently deliver a 15-yard pass, even with my strong hand. So I think one of the things that young players need to get better at is really confronting some of the plays that they can't make. And then instead of ignoring them, you know, basically exposing them. And so that was one of the things that we wanted to work on with our team saying, you're not going to get enough reps in practice to get better at this. So this is something that you need to do on your own. And I always use the metaphor when I'm, when I'm talking to guys about their academic progress is if, if, if English composition or math is your worst subject, if you wait to do that at 1030 at night, you're going to continue to stink at it. It needs to be the first thing you do when you get home from practice or the extra help that you go to after school and before practice start. Because if you keep on ignoring it because you don't like it or because you haven't proven the ability to be good at it, you need to confront it. And it's the yeah, same thing do. with kind and of- And you, can't, you can't super score it either. And yeah, yeah, you're not going to get any. Yeah, you're not going to. Yeah, we're not super scoring. We, you know, we're, we're we're hardcore up there in Cambridge. You can't just take your best clearing passes from like five games and then just count those. Exactly right, Coach. I did this the other day in the drill, but yeah, it's not the drill anymore. So. I'm just super scoring it this week. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. Um, hey, my uh, my solution for if you want to get better at clearing, the best drill that most people can do if they want to get better at at, at clearing is get out the hacksaw and cut about six or eight inches off your stick. Uh, for the defenseman? I'm, you know, you, you know I played with the short long. I'm short. Not, uh, yeah, I, I'm not allowed to say that. So uh, I was a big fan of that. I figured I was, my feet were never going to get any better, but if the ball bounced near me, I could pick it up. <laughs> well, the fact that you were like 6'3 and 6'7 with the afro definitely <laughs> um, made the stick look shorter than what it probably was close to six feet. I made, you know, $3 million a year, earned every nickel of it. <laughs> Fletch. That's two straight podcasts with a Fletch reference, you know, underappreciated. Probably the last time Chevy Chase was funny. Yeah, possibly. I think you might be right about that. That was like, that was as good as it gets. Um, all right. Another question I was thinking about. <clears throat> I want to hear what you learned to help your philosophy on defense or whatever it is that you're teaching that you learned from other sports. And I want to start with basketball. You know, I, I, I listen, I, I think, you know, relative to learning from other sports, I really enjoyed when I was at Notre Dame, I, I really enjoyed going to Mike Bray's uh, practice. He's the head basketball coach at Notre Dame and, you know, really well respected. And, you know, I think one of the things that I learned from him was that it's really important sometimes to be quiet. That if you want to learn a kind of about what your team knows, is sometimes you kind of try to blend in to the background, that you try to step back. If you spent Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, say you have a game on Saturday or Friday night, that, that if you've done, if one of the ways to check whether you've done a good job in preparing your team is to step back 
a little bit. And if, if you went to a Notre Dame basketball practice, one of the things, and it was, it was maybe a, the day before a game, and they've been preparing for two days, is that they had their, they had their practice plan and they had the drills that they were doing and that they had their language that they were applying is that one of the things that he would do was he would just kind of blend in and he was really subtle with his coaching. There wasn't a lot of yelling going on and he was testing how prepared his team was. He still had a little time, either the second half of the practice or the walkthrough the next day to, to be critical and to critique his team's development. But he would just kind of be there and his assistants were running things and he was really paying attention. He'd write some notes down about, you know, maybe something that he wanted to address in the next huddle or some, a drill that maybe he wanted to tweak later in practice, but he was taking the pulse of his team's preparation. Now, listen, when you, when you've been at a place for a long time and you've had success like he did, then you can do that because you have this, you have a history, you have a, a sense of what your team feels and sounds like when, when it's ready. So I think, you know, as much as anything, that's one of the things that I, that I tried to bring to our team this year, because one of the things I always say is, you know, what I know on game day doesn't matter as much as what your team can execute and what they understand. So all the knowledge that I have as incomplete as it is and all the knowledge that your assistants have and they brought during the week, it's not irrelevant, but you're 30 to 40 yards away from the action and you have, you know, lulls in the, in the action and you have guys coming off on the sideline during substitutions. You have timeouts and quarters and half times, but you really have not as much of an impact strategically and tactically as you think you have. So teaching your guys how to play and how to manage the game, whether it's end of game situations or stressful situations that come up in practice, and you can replicate that to prepare for the game, that takes a, a willingness, and it's hard because most coaches are con control freaks, including this guy, is that being willing to step back a little bit, I think, is, is something I learned. Um, we, I think, all are looking for an edge, and anytime I'm watching sports, it, it pretty much goes back to lacrosse for me. Um, obviously, you guys were all at Notre Dame. You're at a big-time football program, too. Did you spend any time learning from what they taught, let's say, defensive backs with their footwork, with hip turns versus drop steps, or anything along those lines over the years that you can think of that you took um, from football? You know, what, you know the, the offensive line coaches at, at Notre Dame were historically produced a crazy amount of, you know, NFL talent. So they had a guy named Joe Moore, actually the offensive line award that they give out in college every year is actually called the Joe Moore Award. And um, it's, it's to the unit. And, and the recent coach whose name escapes me, uh, Notre Dame had three first team all pro uh, guys more than any other school. So I, I didn't watch the, uh, the defensive backs as much. I, I never got caught up in the drop step, hip turn, argument I, I i couldn't even tell you what what a hip turn is or i'll or tell you what I'm, it is I'm, I'm not asking so but but you can tell me yeah uh, I, I just i just you know i just you know i think people move you can make some some progress i think you know i always felt like the iq was much more of a manipulate you know an ability to manipulate that 
uh, athleticism. But I did watch the the offensive line guys because it, it it combined giving ground and drop steps or hip turns, whatever whatever the hell they did. I couldn't tell you which one was which, but how they used their hands and how they used uh, giving ground as well as intersection and putting your hands and feet together to stop a linebacker or, or a, a rush end and things like that. So I, I did spend some time looking at that, but I, I'd be lying to you if I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. What other, any other sports come to mind that like you took things from, or has it been pretty much your study of this one? I just, I kind of, I, I, I kind of, and, and it may be wrong. Listen, it's, you know, I, I spend 90% of my thinking around defense around, communication and off ball stuff. Not that there's not a range within on ball of, of, um, you know, how you can impact hands and feet working together, drop steps, you know, confrontation where you're trying to meet guys. I just, I just think that oftentimes the offense is, is so skilled that they're, they're getting to really good spots consistently, even against really good defense. I mean, even against the best defenseman you've ever, coach so if you if you kind of accept that reality that everybody needs a little bit of help and sometimes that help is a full slide sometimes it's a 70 percent show sometimes it's a i went 90 percent pulled myself out of it i'd rather I, i felt like that was a much more of a controllable asset than saying you know joe blow guarding jim jones we're not going to do anything to him and don't right. even look at him. And that, that works up, that works up to a point, I guess. And so if, if I stipulate that, then I can put my energy and, and thought making process against uh, much more controllable five guys who are off ball. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. I was talking with uh, Eddie Glazer the other night. The Glaze, um, justglaze.com. Justglaze.com. What a great guy, man. I mean, just so smart. So, so is this the second time? Second time you've talked to him? Yeah. I mean, I did. I did. So um, I, I work with some athletes and, and I wanted them, you know, while they can't play lacrosse and there's not a lot of film to watch for them. We right. just went and we watched the, uh, I, I cut up some uh, clips from the PLL championship game and um, got a couple of these defensemen on and, um, and we, uh, we, we did a little Zoom call with Glaze. Um, one of the things he was talking about that that um, I think uh, any any coach who's on here listening might find interesting. And I forget what the terminology is, but it has to do with when you're kind of overloaded and the ball's trying to swing to the side you're underloaded on, how you guys try to force the ball back in that direction. If you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that and explaining it, um, it's uh, it's a it's a pretty you know, simple concept that makes a lot of sense, which is, you know, if there's four players on one side and two on the other, you know, let's not make it easy for them to get to the side of the field where there's only two. You know, I think that I, there's nothing more important than that. And, and Eddie and, and Matt Landis and Apple and, and Sexton and Jack Neer and, you know, a, a bunch of guys who, you know, were, I mean, crazy talented athletically. And, and it's also one of the things that just to pre, to kind of preamble what you're talking about is a lot of time, like trying to find guys, try to develop guys that not only care about guarding, because everybody, like it's, 
it's one of the reasons a defenseman gravitates to to um, playing defense is that they love that confrontation. And there's so many different ways to guard people and to recover. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that you know the, the way that that I feel about it is better, different. It's just you kind of you try to execute what you believe and and try to continue to evaluate whether whether it works. But one of the fundamental things about sliding and recovering is how quickly the ball gets to the weak side of the field. And one of the things that, that, that at Harvard, as we're trying to develop our defensive culture there and in South Bend was, how do you delay that? And what are the elements that go into delaying that? One of, it, one of them is the quality of your slides. So you, you want to work on, you know, one of the things that I like to work on were signs of guys about to get beat like that there are there are five or six tells of what that looks like and that that helps your slide guy and if you can do it really well the other four guys surrounding the slide guy can recognize that and and the guy on ball can recognize it so now you have six people crazy engaged so the quality of your slides and and ultimately the speed and efficiency with which you can get ball pressure affects how quickly a ball swings. Um, because if you have two people committed to the ball with no ball pressure, that next transfer pass is going to be clean. Yeah. Unless you got to, you know. So if that first transfer pass is clean, the likelihood of the next pass is clean. So the quality of your ball pressure, the quality of your, your poke and your approach, um, how long it takes that guy to survive you. So quality of, of slide decision, you know, I think off ball, your, you know, what passing lanes look like, are they massive? They can be kind of massive if you have ball pressure, but if there's no ball pressure or not enough ball pressure and your, your slide guy is trying to get ball pressure and your original on ball guy is recovering, if your skip lane is massive, now that ball is to the weak side way too quickly, which now what that typically translates into off of a skip pass and, and practicing recognizing skip passes, communicating skip passes, approaching skip passes, uh, nuggeting skip passes, all those things become, you know, listen, you can't take away every skip pass, but recognizing and reacting to them, that's the next best thing. So, how big is that skip lane? How much are you recognizing if you're a perimeter off-ball defender? I have a man at 18 and I have an open guy at nine. Where do I need to be within that nine-yard range that can affect that? And again, teams play that different ways. And I'm not going to argue right. one way or another, but I'd rather give up an 17-yard step down, even in the PLL with twos. I'd rather give up a 17-yard step down than a guy catching and, and shooting from eight. Um, and then the next thing is, what are my approaches? If I gave, if I, you know, can I delay it by scraping a lane? Like, hey, I got a two-on-one with Jamie. And, you know, if he's just selling a transfer pass with his hands, can I scrape that lane and buy a second? Because every second in my mind, as the ball gets moved from strong side to weak side, every second is about two and a half yards of an approach. So if you can equate that and, you know, whether you have guys, you know, Harvard type guys or Notre Dame type guys, 
guys know if one second's worth two and a half yards, what can I do to steal a second? So that could be a scrape. That could be an approach that makes a guy go back to the same side of a dodge. Or, you know, can I get aggressive ball pressure on the next pass or can I slow play? So I, I got some very specific thoughts on that, Jamie. Yeah. I, I really don't want to divulge too much. Sure. That's very particular. That's a very particular thing that, that I believe in and I teach and I don't want to share too much on that. But scraping, slow play and fast play, skip lanes, and, and helping your guys understand what each second of delay means. Just like tell, helping them understand what sliding with no ball pressure means, that you're going to pay a price for that somewhere. I mean, the concept uh, is not that hard to understand. Uh, getting people to be able to communicate it is really, really hard to do. And I, and I do think that, you know, your, your focus on off-ball and communication, which you stated 10 minutes ago, you know, is really one of the – is the key and how you do that is really your secret sauce. But, 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 you know, the, the other part of that, James, so I'll give you an example, right? So say it's a, say it's a 10 set, Jamie, like an umbrella set yeah. and, uh, and you're dodging the corner and uh, I'm the slide guy. Yeah. And it uh, looks like you're going to kind of get underneath. You're going to carry deep and get underneath. And I, and I show or slide and you, and you roll out back to your right hand. And right at that rollout moment is, should the slide guy finish his slide? Should he stay sideways and maybe recover back in? If he finishes his slide, do I have enough ball pressure? But let's say you took away the skip lane, you took away the feed to the crease, and then the next pass off of your deep carry is a roll is a rollback and you throw it to the you know, in that umbrella set, the three oh, guys high. Yeah. This was you. And yep. there's the guy who's behind the play. You carried deep and rolled out. Is the guy who picks up the guy on that pass, is he, his approach, and, and approaches and ball pressure and communication, if you do those, through, through those three things well, you're going to play pretty good defense. Is that approach to the rollback throwback, is it, is it a fast play? Is it a slow play? Is my angle straight on? Is it shaded back to where your original dodge was? Am I scraping the next pass? I, I like to practice all of those things. I like to create the scenario. You know, the other another factor is the guy you passed the ball to, Jamie, is he selling a, a rip or is he sideways thinking about transfer? So I, I, I talk to my defenseman a lot about what is he selling with his feet? or his feet sideways, or is he triple threat and he's got a hitch and a rip and a skip to the crease or a, or a dodge or a transfer, right? So what is the guy selling with his feet becomes an important part of your read as an approach. So that kind of gets you a little bit more detail about your central question was, how do you delay the ball getting to the weak side? Yeah, such great, interesting stuff. Listening to you talk about defense and the tells and the reads and, and the, the feet of the, the receiver potential transfer guy and everything from, the, you know, are you seeing the, you know, in the slide decisions, are you seeing the, the backs, the numbers on the back or the sleeve, you know, all of these things. Um, 
are so applicable to the other side of the ball in that if you're an offensive player and you're not being deceptive, you're telling the defense what their next move should be because what they're doing is watching your every single move and they're going to try to be on time and try to take away what they think you're doing. And so many players offensively are not thinking about manipulating and controlling, you know, essentially the narrative of what their body's telling the defense. No, no, you're exactly right. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're doing, like, and, and I, I don't know what the correct terminology is, but um, I know there was definitely a couple of teams in the last few years, Denver, Ohio State, and it's, it's a Canadian thing a little bit is kind of dodging the corner and kind of doing the kind of Michael Jordan fake rollback and dunking on Ewing. The MJ move? Yeah, the MJ move. It's like there were, there were a lot of guys – who were doing that, both American and Canadian, where they were getting to like five and the and the hash. They they had some ball pressure, but they they were not so much that they couldn't look past the defender's helmet and see where what the slide preparation was like, and kind of coming out with like a half rocker and then coming back underneath. You know that had a window of like I remember going to my next practice and being like we got to practice that deep carry half rocker, you know, whether it's a guy walking the dog or whether it was an American or a Canadian, because you can toy with the slide guy there and he's not sure whether you're going to come topside or coming back underneath. And that, you know, I think that's still going to be a thing that you're going to see a lot because that's sure. to your point is toying with the slide. If you're toying with the slide, it means you're toying with at least two other perimeter defenders and right. so now you got four out of your six defenders fixated on only one thing which is could be a great win for the offense for sure and it's 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 actually in every scenario you know i mean like if you get a step on your defender and you want to get a shot off they're going to time up their check whatever it is on what seems to be like what your shot is and so let's say you're going underneath and you've got a pretty good one skinny and you got a decent step and they're going to time your stick showing to be able to trail check you. Right. If you show your stick and pull it, you'll draw that swipe and then it'll open up a window to shoot it. And, and this happens like literally with everything. If you, if a tell is in a two on one situation coming from behind where an adjacent might be thinking about crowding or helping and a guy puts his head down, you know, it gives the indication that they're all in on this dodge. You know, but a smart player might put his head down and like lift it right back up and bring you to him and just, you know, it, literally this level of control extends itself. And the defense is, is well, well coached defenses are, are using their every single, you know, every single movement as a read and a tell. A good player is doing that, just like goalies are doing that to shooters, you know. No doubt. Yeah, I think, I think the thing. The, the challenge kind of with, with, you know, a lot of what you're teaching on offense is how do you, like, you know, if you're teaching a guy to dodge and step away and re-dodge is, and that might not be the exact language that you use, but really good players don't decelerate that much. It's the appearance of a step away or more subtle movements with an elbow or 
a slight turn of the head of the stick. It's not like I always tell my guys, I've seen better acting and, you know, B movies is when a guy's making all these big fakes and things like that, that's easier to play than the guys who do it subtly. And so a guy who decelerates and gets a subtle elbow pump, that's sure. much more valuable than the big step away and the slowdown that's so overtly a setup that you never fall for it. So for sure. part of your challenge, I think, as you're teaching your philosophy on dodging and deception is how do you do it in a way that's subtle and real right. versus you know, such bad acting that you would never fall for it. And that, I think, you know, for college guys, as you're teaching some of these deception, that, this, you know, some guys just have a natural ability to do it. And some guys will never get it. And right. so now the question becomes, if a guy's never going to get it, do you spend a lot of time on it? Or the guy who has a natural inclination of, of to mix up speed and hesitation and deceleration and subtle stick movement, that guy who has a knack for that already can become great at it. Yeah, it's true. And it's hard to teach. I mean, the fact is you can't teach deception. Deception is something that you learn. You can teach the concept of it. You know, you can present right. it, but you can't right. teach somebody. And the subtleties you're talking about, I mean, so much of it is just your head turn. Literally, okay. just like, just decelerate and turn your head and look back, lift your hands a little bit. It's subtle yeah. stuff that really makes a big difference. Now, and, you know, Brownie, you know, at, at Denver, great at it. You know, the Ohio State guys did a really, you know, good job at it. It, it, it. it takes a lot of drill, a lot of shell stuff. It takes a lot of guys at this time who they're going out on a field or in their backyard and they're standing and ripping from 15. And it's like, right. you know, you'd yeah. be better off working on some of these subtleties of, of what you're talking about. And you, the best way to learn how to do this stuff is to play hoops. No doubt. No doubt. You know, you look at, you know, you look at Steve, like Chris Paul, like, you know, listen, Steve Nash was quick and Steve, Chris Paul is relatively quick, but talk about guys who used, you know, Pete Maravich, the guys who use real subtle, you know, movements and just totally punked guys, you know, where, now, if, you put, if you put them in a pro shuttle or some sort of sprint, they'd probably be in the middle of the pack, but you give them a ball and you give them some of the, you know, the, the, the body movements that they had. You know, I think one of, the, one of the things coming back to Eddie is, and I, I talk about Eddie Glazner a lot because Eddie was a good athlete and he's one of the few guys, you know, a lot of times I, I can remember this conversation like it was yesterday because, you know, you get to the end of your season and, you know, you lose the last game or you make the final four or whatever it is, or you're disappointed, right? because you didn't win the last game of the year. And I remember him calling me and saying, you know, coach, what, what do I need to do? I want to contribute. I want to, I want to have, you know, I want to be in the mix and what can I do? And I, I remember telling him, and it's something that I tell guys to this day. It's like, you need to become a, have a PhD in our defense. Because if you have that with your very solid you know, to good athleticism with, he had a great stick and a real competitive hunger, you know, and you have a mastery of everything, you know, and, and you look at him now and he's, you know, I've said this before, yeah. if I was the coach of the national team, he'd be one of the, not because I, I coached him because it's, 
you know, a guy who understands how to cover and how to play off ball and how to communicate and play every position on the field is a crazy valuable asset. So he did that. And if you look at, you know, any of the drills or find him uh, examples of him, he's constantly organizing. He's organized. He's communicating. He's telling people what to do. He's using their name. He's moving efficiently. And, you know, I, you know, those are the guys I'm looking for. The, the guy who's a freak athlete, they're easier to find on the field. You, you know, Ray Charles could see them. But a guy who can do all those other elements, that's a, that's a guy you can build a defense around. No question. And I'll tell you what, I mean, talk about a PhD in your defense. Listen to him talk about it. I literally could sit there and watch film with him and listen to him talk all day long. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, he, he could be a big-time coach. There's no question in my mind. That guy is so good. Um, I want to go back to – Hopefully he comes to Harvard Business School and kind of – Yeah, exactly. There you the, go. The uh, special consultant. <laughs> um, I want to go back to the, um, to the subtle fakes thing. I want to I talk about a scenario that I've been thinking about. I want to get your opinion on it. All right. Scenario is, scenario is like kind of a, a roll back to the middle – against a short stick um, up around 15, 16 yards. And you've got adjacent help. You've got the threat of that fade of that adjacent. We'll say it's a two out top with a crease that's like far, just far enough away. Maybe that crease is kind of is, is mirroring that top side rollback a little bit. So you got a crease guy in there, but his man's sort of like going opposite, right? We have, we um, have a whiteboard here. Let me, uh, let, me, let, me, let me text Will Carr again. <laughs> You bought a well, let me uh, let's do a little technology here. And I it's going to be tough on a podcast, though, for people to uh, see. True. The white. True. But True. I'm going to. This is more conceptual. But now that you understand the situation, got it. So as you are dodging closer and closer to that adjacent player, and that that defensive player is crowding the space of that lefty not necessarily trying to creep towards it because you're worried about that guy fading back on you. But at the same time, you know, if you're in the way, you're in the way, you can slow play it, you know, at least be in the way crowded. And the, the scenario I'm thinking about involves those, those subtle little hitches where now you can hitch and get through the gap, given the fact that your own defensive player on ball is going to be less likely to overplay you towards the help. And oftentimes, a little bit of a rocker and a pump can put you right through that gap. I was wondering what your You know, I, I think you see that. You know, I, yeah, I think you see that. I think you see that a lot in, in the NLL, where you guys come off a two-man in the alley, and they get to the middle, and they, they, don't, they don't throw the throwback. And... They, they, you know, kind of sky whammy or, or, or pox fake and, and step through. I think the, you know, for, for teams that are adjacent or don't like to slide from the crease and are trying to hedge adjacently, what makes that more valuable is the role of the next two adjacent offensive players. If you have great spacing, you have both, you have the best of both worlds. So what you see a lot of teams do in field is if they know the team's not a crease uh, sliding team, that they will 
they'll pop the crease guy as the, as the Dodger comes to the middle of the field, they'll, they'll vacate the crease and pop that guy behind the ball and, and fill with one of the other two offensive guys. But right. most teams are, you know, adjacent sliding or adjacent show and trying to uh, squeeze space and things like that. But I think one of the things like Duke was, I think one of the first teams to, to do a lot of the pair stuff after yep. Denver uh, when you were there is um, one of the things that they do against teams that are trying to like, you know, hedge adjacently and free up space is that they would, they would vacate the space, pop that behind the Dodger, come into the middle of the field. Yep. And then with two adjacent guys, one of those guys would fill the crease. And now you put, this, put yourself in the decision, do you try to help from that guy? Or do you let that guy get to the middle of the field and, you know, shoot from 11? And so that's where the pumps and the, and the right. elbow fakes and the step-throughs become really valuable. I think regardless of whether you're a crease sliding or an adjacent sliding team, what you do with the adjacent two offensive players, that spacing from a fade and a fill standpoint, doing that from an athletic stance and from um, a recognition of the space that you're trying to give the Dodger – you know, I, I think most teams are trying not to slide these days. And so what you do with those adjacent people about either vacating space while still being a threat becomes the most critical thing. Then, then you throw in the stick fakes and the right. elbow pumps and they become really valuable. The, um, the, the difference between the scenario I'm talking about and the Duke scenario you referenced is when you really don't have anybody beat you're out, you're, you're out at 16 yards anyways. Everybody feels pretty good about what's happening. Maybe even the, the adjacent player's man isn't even fading. He might be at the restraining line, you know, outside of you a little bit. And all of a sudden, you feel pretty good. And then you watch some of these guys. Um, I, you know, the kid, um, the Canadian kid from Penn State, I'm forgetting Kelly, would do that stuff all the time. I, I know you guys didn't play Penn State, but he was a guy that – use this technique to get himself through gaps. And I just see it as an unbelievable opportunity that I think we're going to see more of in the, in the coming years, right? It's really when you feel good about your positioning, like, you know, the tell is I'm seeing the, the numbers on the back of my shorty. It's no big deal here. And there's a help guy right there. And then all of a sudden. The, the problem with that, not your mentality, but the problem is when you've got a guy at 16, he's two steps from 14. And if you're not going to slide and help all of a sudden, you know, I, I just don't think you can guard guys for that long. Mm -hmm. Even the best sure. guys. And you throw in the determined, you know, American or Canadian, but a determined Dodger at some point is going to get an edge. And, you know, I, I just – I would rather, you know, slide and recover and, yeah. and, make, and make guys, you know, make hockey assists. Because a lot of times your best players, and not out of selfishness, more out of confidence that I didn't come here – for hockey assists. I can't remember for goals and assists. And if you can force slide and recover, slide and recovery against a team that maybe doesn't have great spacing, you do that three or four times, you're taking 60% of their possession away yeah. from a clock standpoint. I hear you. I don't disagree with that. I, I, but the phenomenon I'm referring to really is that the closer your, your on-ball defender gets to help adjacently, the more they underplay you towards it and the more you can get yourself through a gap. Yeah, no. You're yeah. seeing this. You see. I mean, how many times did you see a, a box pump fake adjacent? The adjacent guy who was hedging, 
chased back on that pass, and then the guy stepped through. And guess what? If it's a righty against a lefty, like say, 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 Jamie, say so you're the lefty and I'm the righty on you, and you're fighting your way to sixteen, right? Say it again, please. Hey, let's talk about that scenario. That okay. you're at sixteen, and I'm and I'm and I'm defending you, and I'm a righty and you're a lefty, and they're trying to hedge and a three in space. You throw a box fake and go to step through. Not just me, even though I like to go over the head, but you know I'm going to go for that trail check. And now you're stepping through. You're bringing the head of your stick right to the front of your face. Trail check mix misses. And so instead of an east-west dodge where the guy's got a score at 15 going right. hash to hash, he's stepping through, coming right down Broadway. Right. And he's, you know, he's, you know, he's doing a twister or he's looking down and throwing it to the opposite corner. You see that all the time. But I think a lot, yeah. besides the trail check temptation, it's also, hey, we're not going to slide temptation which, yeah. you know, great. We're not going to slide to Joe Blow. That works till you have to slide to Joe Blow. That's <laughs> true. But you know what's interesting about this phenomenon too, though, Jerry, is that oftentimes the, the, the on-ball defender is working so hard to, yeah. to, to body. He can't see that you didn't throw it. Right. And, and, and that, that, that is a fact. And so, like, the, the, the adjacent player will bite on it for a, a pause, but he can see it. But the guy on ball can't tell that you, especially if you kind of do hold it out there and, what made me think of it was the box fake concept. Remember that Zach Miller goal? No, I completely forgot it. Yeah, that one. That that was that he held it there and nobody could see it. The guy on ball defender couldn't see he didn't throw it. You know what I'm saying? And it's just it's interesting. It's just an interesting concept that um I don't know, it just interests me and I was curious yeah. to No, yeah, but you're turning this into gladiator school at sixteen where a guy's guarding a guy for like six or seven seconds. I'm like like to me, like if I, not that we do a lot of one-on-ones, but like that would be an unrealistic scenario in my world because okay. we would, I would expect my guys to make a decision already. But in in the time, it's easier to teach not sliding than it is to teach sliding and recovering. Yeah, in the end, it all just kind of comes back to the defense is watching what you do, and uh, a really well-trained oh, defense oh, is going to make good reads. Ball bearings now. <laughs> It's so true. Um, hey, Jerry, give us a little update on uh, what you guys got going on with all the um, uh, all the online uh, webinars and content you're doing. Um, it's uh, you know it's been it's been it's been fun. We're you know we're trying to be you know I think it starts with we're trying to keep our own skills sharp. So you know having these conversations with you really helps me think about the pressures that you're going to face as a defensive coach. So I love when we chat because you're, you're thinking creatively, you're thinking not just, Hey, this is good for the offense, but tough on the defense that not a lot of people think that way. But so the webinars for us have been, they've been fun because they are keeping us connected with, with high school and youth coaches and club coaches from around the country and around the world. Um, you know, we're able to field questions in a, in a chat feature, which is, which is pretty fun. Um, I think you have a chat feature too, Jamie. I don't know if people are asking any questions, but they should. Um, is, um, you know, we're just trying, the way we're looking at it is, you know, till next August, we may need to be doing these things. So we're kind of, that's why we're trying to hone in on, you know, one clip, one drill, and hone in on some, some things that people can get better at. And having fun with it, 
you know, we're changing up our intro music. A lot of, we did a little movie clip on, on the way in uh, to mine the other day. We had the uh, Van Morrison uh, caravan from The Last Waltz was my intro music the other day from the movie uh, The Last Waltz. And so. Great, um, great movie and soundtrack, by the way. Top, top, one of the top concert movies of all time. And so uh, we're just having fun with it. And it's keeping us connected. Guys are asking us questions. They're asking us questions live on the webinars. And also, you know, we're providing, you know, my email, Coach Corrigan, Coach Hutchinson, Coach Bergman, Coach Kyle, our stringing coach. Uh, so everybody's getting engaged. And we're just trying to be good community citizens at a time where there's so much anxiety and stress and, you know, an unsure sense of what the future holds for us that we can bring a little uh, humor and a little knowledge into the day. Yeah, it's great stuff. And it's, um, it's so nice to get your mind and everybody's minds off uh, the realities out there and just talk lacrosse. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, Bernsey, the last question I have for you is um, if you had a Bugs Bunny episode that was going to uh, remind you or you, that you would use uh, when you're coaching, is there any, is there any line from a Bugs Bunny episode that you'll generally use? And, you know, uh, I don't know if I could think of, I think of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the rabbit season, duck season is always a, a classic, you know, when you go, when they're going back and forth. Uh, I got but, one for you. The, uh, there's, there's one that's kind of, you know, I'm going to completely date myself, you know, growing up in the sixties and the seventies, you know, we watched a lot of, uh, my mom, God rest her soul was an unbelievable movie buff. And so we watched a lot of James Cagney movies and any of the movies that were, you know, featured Irish Americans who were complete gangsters or politicians or, you know, gangsters with a heart of gold. So, you know, the episode where, where, Clancy, get the boys and surround the house. When, when you know, when I throw a match into the house of my, my friend Clancy was in there. No, you might, Chalabit, you might. When I set the place on fire, my man was in there. Oh, you might, Chalabit, you might. So, you know, probably made a lot of references to those. But, I, you know, as my assistant coaches will testify, I make a lot of cultural references that I have to annotate and, you know, have video proof on. Not everybody knows. Well, I was going to talk about the uh, the good old Bugs Bunny slow ball when the teetotalers uh, were playing against the uh, the, um, the gas house gang, gas house gorillas, gas house gorillas, and, and then they um, played the music because they were coming up there and just crushing pitch after pitch. They were, and then uh, Bugs Bunny entering the game at catcher, at center field, at left field, at pitcher, left, left field Bugs Bunny, right field Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, the reason why I bring it up is we do we play a lot of backyard lacrosse, and it's very important to be able to shoot. You know, everybody's a goalie. You know, so it's not just one person right. is the goalie. So you're going to have to like take it easy on your shooting, and you got to shoot some Bugs Bunny slow balls and try to try to use some touch and deception rather than just like blowing the ball right into like your sister's face or something. Right. No, that's you know, you know, in the face. I don't want to do that. Um, Listen, man, we're, we're, you know, I'm about to, you know, Coach Corrigan and I are getting a little work done today. You know, we're going to get on the pickleball court shortly. He's, he's moving me around like Geppetto out on the, uh, on the court, you know, uh, you know, I, I need to be humbled every once in a while, my wife would say pretty regularly. So it's good. It's good to get out there. I, you know, I, I love competition. Probably similarly to you is like, I, it helps me have an empathy for my guys because I know it's hard to do things when you're tired and it's easy to kind of 
self-coach yourself in a way that you pull out of the play or you don't hustle and things like that. So I like to continue to compete because I know it's hard what you ask your players to do. And so, yeah, you know, and I don't want, I don't want to lose that, that everything matters. And that, that you know, I, I believe that the score, there's always a scoreboard and not, not in the sense of I'm trying to crush my opponent, but scores always being kept. And so um, I want to keep on doing those things. So I love getting out there. I think this time has made it really hard for people to do that and it forces a creativity, which is what I communicated to my team the other day is, you have a schedule, you have a plan, you have limitations, you have opportunities, do what you can and do right. it really, really well. And because six months from now, I really don't care what your obstacle was. You either did it or you didn't do it. Yeah, and, that's right. know, same, thing, same thing we're looking for in, in, in recruiting. So, you know, I think, you know, one of, one of the things our webinars are doing is, is is less talking about how we play because, you know, we're a developing, you know, product up in, in Cambridge. More, there's different ways to, to teach it. And however you teach it, make sure you understand the cost and the benefits of teaching it that way. Love it. Jerry, thank you so much for coming on, man. I love, I love talking lacrosse with you. we got to do it again sometime soon. And um, good luck against Will and Pickleball. Stay healthy, stay safe. And say my best to uh, to Sarah and the whole uh, crew out there. Same right back at you. Thanks, brother. See you, bud. Bye-bye. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA lacrosse championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A-Time.com.